0: Celebrating 50 years, ASCP is a membership organization of senior care pharmacists. Our mission is to promote healthy aging by empowering pharmacists with education, resources, and innovative opportunities. Learn more at ASCP.com. ASCP, experts in medication management, improving the lives of older adults. listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to Senior Rx Radio, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Senior Rx Radio is brought to you by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, the ASCP. ASCP is devoted to optimal medication management and improved health care outcomes for older adults. Learn more at our website, ASCP.com. Welcome to Senior RX Radio, brought to you by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacist. Once again, here at the annual meeting, and this wonderful setup by the ACP staff. And we've got an interesting topic to talk about today. I think it's something that's going to sort of garner a lot more attention um, from a medicinal standpoint. And it's talking about medical cannabis and maybe all the things around that that we need to consider as it affects our patients specifically in long-term care. Um, today, I've got Daniel Frickson with me, Daniel. Welcome to Senior Rx Radio. Thanks for coming.
1: Thank you for having me this morning.
0: Danielle, tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into this, and, and kind of your connection and long-term care.
1: Yeah, perfect. Um, so I'm originally from North Carolina, um, born and raised there, went to pharmacy school there, and then moved to Colorado for residency. Um, and when I moved to Colorado, I realized that there were a lot of patients, um, and actually a lot of the providers that I worked with, they specifically had questions about the use of marijuana, and was it safe? Um, Are patients going to get in trouble if they use marijuana? What are the long-term side effects? Um, And so, during residency, I began to do um, research on marijuana and then um, published a paper regarding marijuana and migraine headaches. After residency, I stayed on at Colorado, so I'm an assistant professor at the University of Colorado School of Pharmacy. And then I'm also a clinical pharmacist in a geriatric primary care clinic within an academic medical center. And so within my practice, um, I deal with a lot of patients who are transitioning from hospital to home, as well as um, skilled nursing facility to home. Um, Part of our providers do also practice in long-term care facilities um, as well, and so I receive a lot of um, medical marijuana consults as well, as well as just marijuana questions in general, Um, and so with all of the questions and all of the patients that I come into contact with, I've really grown to enjoy um, learning more about the topic and then trying to figure out, is it safe for our patients, and, and can I provide them all of the information they need to know before using a product.
0: So getting into this topic a little bit, we had a social mm-hmm. committee meeting around, you know, a lot of these podcast ideas. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting somebody brought up is why do you think this particular medicine is garnering so much special attention versus other ones that we obviously come out all the time?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. I think the reason that medical marijuana or just even marijuana in general is garnering so much attention um, is because it's federally restricted. So yes, there are states that have laws or rules in place that allow the use of medical marijuana, but then federally it's still viewed as a Schedule One substance. Um, and so I think a lot of healthcare providers, definitely pharmacists um, that work out in the field, um, they're worried about you know, can I really recommend to a patient who comes to me with a question about medical marijuana, can I make a recommendation? Because technically, it's it's not legal federally, um, but it is legal, you know, potentially in the state that they're practicing in. And so I think just having something that's available out there that federally is not legal, it just leaves a lot of providers, um, pharmacists, kind of in a position to where they're not sure if they should be giving recommendations, should you know, patients be using this, do we need more information? Um, so I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons that it's garnering so much attention.
0: You brought a really interesting point about pharmacists specifically having the ability to talk to patients about this. And from my understanding, there's different states have different approaches to this, even if they have medicinal okay, is there, I think there's a good resource pharmacists should go to to see what the sort of legal background is they should be considering when they talk to patients about this?
1: Yeah, so in in the state of Colorado, we have um, the Colorado Department of Public Health um, and Environment website, and specifically we talk about you know what providers can discuss with patients. Um, what you know pharmacists can discuss discuss with patients. Um, but then also, like I think another good point is some of those federal facilities. So for instance, the VA, um, they have specific guidelines and recommendations for their healthcare providers that state, you know, you're not allowed to actually recommend anything. Um, you really shouldn't bring it up and if your patient has a question feel free to give them information but again you shouldn't recommend yes you should use this or you know steer clear of it they basically don't want the providers to talk about it at all so i would say look within your state um, see if there are any websites that. You know, are listed um, within your state that have information for healthcare providers.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point because I think you really have to um, do some self looking for yourself. I even learned recently, I practice in Iowa and Iowa has newly um, allowed medicinal use, but pharmacists aren't covered as the same as other healthcare providers. So, I think it's important that you, know, you take a look at those things. I think that's that's a really good point. What are maybe some of the biggest misconceptions we have as pharmacists in general around this topic?
1: Yeah, so I think um, there are a lot of misconceptions um, just related to medical marijuana. I think, you know, one of the misconceptions that pharmacists have is that marijuana, um, you know, some pharmacists think of marijuana, whether it's um, medical marijuana or not, Um, as a product that, you know, they know about from the 60s or 70s, and so they view it as a product that patients are potentially using to get high or feel euphoric um, and just not really understanding that there are different cannabinoids um, within the cannabis plant itself that patients may be using for medical purposes. Um, I think another misconception And this isn't specifically pharmacist but um, I do want to bring it up just from a patient standpoint is there are a lot of patients um, that are using medical marijuana out there Um, and as a pharmacist um, you know you may not know that that patient is using medical marijuana maybe because they haven't told you about it or they feel like there's a stigma related to it and so I think um, just, you know, trying to be a pharmacist and whether you agree with using medical marijuana or not, being open um, and asking some open-ended questions so that your patients feel comfortable talking about it. Yeah,
0: I think that's a really good point because how do you, or what do you tell people about managing sort of those, maybe your own, if you're a healthcare provider, you have your own personal ethical issues around this? What do you tell them about considering those things as we approach patient care?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and it's something that um, I'm going to talk about a little bit in my talk later on today. Um, I think, you know, as a healthcare provider, um, I really try to be as open as possible and as non judgmental, um, whether I agree with what the patient is using or not. I mean, it could be as simple as them using. A natural supplement that has no evidence whatsoever, but I want to respect the patient and I want to gain their trust. And so I typically go about um, my conversations with open ended questions. So, for example, with medical marijuana, um, I talk to patients and I say, you know, there are a lot of patients within our clinic um, who have used or are interested in using medical marijuana for, let's say, the example is pain. Um, Is that something that, you know, you've ever thought about, or is that something that you've already done? Um, Because I find that a lot of patients have actually tried products um, specifically in Colorado uh, recreationally um, for medical purposes, just to see if they should go about the process of receiving a medical marijuana card. And so I think just being open, being non-judgmental, asking them, you know, letting them know that other patients are doing this, um, that's been very successful in my practice.
0: Is there a certain level of provider stigmatism around this from a healthcare professional to healthcare professional relationship that has to be sort of managed because one person is maybe bringing in their sort of his own personal beliefs and, you know, somebody else is approaching it from the patient care standpoint that's kind of approaching it from that standpoint. Is there is there dynamics you've seen with your colleagues?
1: Yes. So, we actually, it was funny, we um, once a month do this multidisciplinary conference and we discuss um, patient cases that we've encountered. And so, marijuana um, was one of the more recent topics that we discussed. And, um, you know, providers specifically said, okay, if I have a patient, um, like for instance, one provider said, if I have a patient who is interested in medical marijuana, I'm not comfortable. Um, just because I don't think there's enough long-term safety data out there, but is there, you know, I also want to do, you know, what the patient wishes, so is there someone around this table who I could potentially refer them to, um, or someone who would be willing to, you know, help with these patients, and so I think, just from a provider standpoint, being able to openly um, discuss with other providers, you know, could I send this patient over to you, um, I know that you have a few patients that are using medical marijuana. I think that's a great first step, um, and then always they typically will send their patients um, to me as a pharmacist just to discuss risks versus benefits and actually see if there are any potential interactions that could occur.
0: So we talk about patient factors a little bit. What are the things we probably <coughs> need to consider around patient patient factors from a Interactions or side effects standpoint? How do we approach those things with patients?
1: Yeah, um, so that's kind of my, my first thing, my first talking point that I do with patients is after introducing myself and telling them that, you know, I've done research in marijuana and that I'm here to primarily educate them, um, not recommend anything at the time. But I figure out what they're using marijuana for. So are they using it for pain? Or are they using it? You know, for anxiety or for nausea. And then I go um, pull up the patient's chart and I look at drug drug interactions. So I look at medications um, that may have common side effects um, that are similar to like THC or that may interact with THC or CBD. Um, and then I talk to the patient, you know, see if they're currently experiencing any of those side effects because. If you use them, the two agents, um, whether it's CBD or THC, in combination with certain medications that are metabolized similarly, then you're going to have, you know, increased, you could have increased side effects. And so um, another talking point are drug disease interactions. So if I have a patient who has. Um, like COPD or asthma and then they're interested in like an inhaled product or a vaporizing product um, Then you know, I definitely want to talk to them about the potential risk that could occur um, Or if they've had like a history of falls um, Then I definitely want to steer them away from any products that may be THC based and um, and let them know what the potential side effects are of THC and CBD. So a lot to consider.
0: You mentioned different parts of of the plant. So can you maybe break down a little bit the differences in THC and CBD and how we should consider those as professionals?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, So this is a big part of my talk because I think it's so important, not only for um, pharmacists who are out there and working in states that do allow medical marijuana, but even for pharmacists who work in states that don't allow medical marijuana at the time. I think it's just a matter of years before all states um, have some sort of rule allowing the use of medical marijuana. And so I really want to make sure I educate pharmacists on those differences. So THC, that's the product that um, we're all probably pretty familiar with just from patients or people using uh, marijuana in the 60s and 70s. But It's the component or the cannabinoid that has the most um, psychoactive properties. So when you think of THC, you think of like euphoria, um, you know, the feeling of being high. Um, It can also potentially increase like blood pressure, um, increase heart rate, and it can increase um, appetite. So THC is the product that a lot of um, patients with you know, reduced appetite or HIV and AIDS will potentially use just to help with weight gain. Whereas CBD is the non psychoactive component. So, CBD um, is another cannabinoid and it mostly has anti inflammatory um, properties. It can also um, reduce anxiety. It's used for um, seizures and pediatric patients. Um, it can have some. Um, other antioxidant properties as well, um, pain properties, and so CBD is really the what I feel is the safer cannabinoid because it's specifically in older adults, you don't have the risk of you know increased falling. It doesn't really have a lot of those CNS side effects that you may experience from THC.
0: So in practice, I guess it's safe to say that if we see. An entry around, and I do want to talk about the EHR, but if we see an entry, if we're a pharmacist in an acute care setting or a post acute care setting, wherever we may interact with these patients, that we see medicinal marijuana, there's probably more questions to be asked about it if somebody doesn't put in what types you're using. Is that safe to say?
1: Oh, yes, definitely. So if you just see, you know, a blank order or a blanket order that says, you know, medical marijuana, then the first call I would make would be. What's the formulation? Um, so you know, is it inhaled? Is it an oil? Um, is it an edible? Is it a topical gel? Like, what type is it? And then, what are the components of it? Is it th- is it strongly THC or strongly CBD based? So what have you seen then?
0: Because I think that's a, that starts as a really good down a good pathway here about documentation of these things. Have you seen particular aspects within EHR that have to be considered around these products?
1: Yes, definitely. So this is kind of. Feel like my, my next research project that I'm going to undertake, um, because so I, I work within a very large health system and, um, we have Epic as our electronic, um, health record. And there's no way that I can document, you know, under the medication list that the patient is using any sort of marijuana product, um, whether it's THC, a CBD product. Um, and so, I went and I did, you know, a search within the EHR, just I typed in THC, I typed in CBD, I typed in marijuana, I typed in cannabis, and it always said unable to find you know this medication. And we have a lot of patients in our clinic who are using medical marijuana and I think it would be very helpful to have the product that they're using um, in the electronic health record specifically in the medication list because I'm doing a lot of reviews on these patients. Um, They may come into clinic for an acute issue and so I think it would be really helpful if they're seeing a provider that's not their provider um, for that provider to know, hey, this patient is using a medical marijuana product. And so right now we have no way to document that. Um, We can only document it in the social history which after doing a brief survey in our clinic, The providers typically don't look at the social history, you know, after the initial visit. And so um, my biggest task next is just to find a way that we can, you know, enter it into the the electronic health record so that as a provider I can look at these patients and assess, you know, why they may be having a side effect or... um, if a new medication is added, if it's safe with what they're currently using,
0: yeah, I think it's a really good clinical pearl that we need to we need to consider. Then is if you know, we can't sort of take the med list, especially in our states that you know allow medicinal use of this, that there might not be in your particular EHR system an, an entry in there. So we have to consider where those components might be. And I think for those of us you know who are, who are in practice, it might be some good questions to start asking about is how you know, IO, for example, is recently introduced to the medicinal purposes. So how is that going to be documented and how do we share that across different platforms? Because it certainly will impact patients and how we sort of approach their care, but I think that's a really, I think it's an excellent point. Um, How, is there any treatment algorithms? How do we start to approach a treatment standpoint? Is there any established algorithms or how do you sort of consider it in practice about how patients use it if I guess a new patient is probably what I'm looking at here. How do we start to approach this might be a drug therapy to consider for them, those yeah. kind of things?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question, and um, part of my talk today, I talk about just two of the um, the societies out there, so American Academy of Neurology and then the American Cancer Society and kind of their position statements on marijuana. Um, specifically, you know, they talk about using marijuana for medical purposes, but then they also talk about using um, cannabis oils as well. And so there isn't, you know, a specific treatment algorithm that I've found um, out there in the literature or even, you know, within our health system. But as a pharmacist, I'm oftentimes consulted on patients who have tried, you know, so many other therapies for, let's say, pain, for their pain, and they've therapies. And, Now they're on, you know, an opioid, and the provider really wants them to get off of the opioid. And so um, I discuss with the patient, you know, the types of, like, their pain level, um, what their goals of care are. Um, A lot of our patients don't want to be on opioids because of the side effects. And so um, some of them have actually brought up, you know, wanting to try marijuana because in the news recently, there have been quite a few studies that have come out showing that, you know, states that have approved medical marijuana, there's lower opioid use in those states. And so I think it's starting to um, have a lot of patients asking questions and saying, hey, can I try medical marijuana and see if I can come off of this opioid? Um, So for me, it's kind of, if the patient's tried, you know, all of the standard of care therapies, or if they have, you know, major allergies to standard of care therapies, and then I really discuss and educate Um, marijuana with those patients um, if if I feel like that's the only treatment option available for them. Um, And then I let them, you know, as well as their provider make the decision on, you know, if they should potentially try that. Um, But in in my clinic setting, we are commonly um, using it or potentially recommending it for patients who have more of that chronic pain. Um, and then a few patients actually here recently, caregivers, um, have been using it for dementia with agitation um, in their patients, which that's a whole nother topic. Um, but in the state of Colorado, it's, it's not technically um, uh, one of the qualifying issues for medical marijuana. And so um, I think there you know, are, are patients who are trying to um, expand the list of qualifying medical issues as well.
0: Pick up some really interesting the association statements on this. Is that something you see a lot? Of associations having position statements around medicinal cannabis? Is any pharmacy associations you know of have position statements on it at this point?
1: Yeah. So there, um, there aren't a lot of you know position statements out there. I specifically you know went and did searches to see. You know, are there position statements on marijuana? I think a lot of, you know, the, the big qualifying issues for medical marijuana are a lot of neurology-related conditions, and so I think it was great that the American Academy of Neurology actually did make a position statement on that um, since, you know, it is being studied with a lot of their diseases. Um, I believe there are position statements that um, I don't know if it's specifically regarding the use of marijuana, but I know I've skimmed over. Um, I think ASHP, they have a statement just regarding marijuana, um, but I'm not exactly certain on
0: that. I think it's interesting because I think associations, you know, obviously along with state laws, are really going to drive how patients have access to this. But certainly think about what we're talking about from a medicinal standpoint and treatment algorithms, those kind of things, um, associations having those kind of positions, I think it's a really interesting topic to consider because, you know, we drive practice, and I think that's, a, that's an important part of kind of understanding, and I think those position statements also kind of maybe hopefully bleed back into the AHRs and those kind of things, because it all, as this progresses, as, as we assume it's going to do, that, you know, we're going to have to figure out ways to, to like kind of meet patients where they're at. So I think that's, I think that's really interesting. Any other big topics or thoughts you have around this, you know, as it affects long term care or access to it that we need to consider, um, you know, as we sort of, again, as this kind of grows throughout our our country?
1: Yeah, so I think, um, you know, specifically regarding long term care, um, I've done a little bit of research just trying to see what other states are doing um, because I get the question asked quite often in clinic. Do you know of any long-term care facilities um, that allow cannabis use um, within the facility? And when you just, you know, briefly search within Colorado, it's really hard to find an actual facility that says, yeah, we allow patients to use medical marijuana um, or even policies that are put into place within the state of Colorado. Um, I know New York, they have um, created you know, policies for medical marijuana um, to use in some of their facilities, which I think is great. And so one thing that I would say is, um, you know, for us to try to create some of these policies, share it with, you know, other states who have medical marijuana um, rules in place. And um, I think that's kind of, you know, potentially the next step. Another, you know, just thinking of long-term care facilities, I think a big fear that I've read about um, and that I've heard is that they're worried about, you know, CMS cutting funding if they allow the use of medical marijuana in their facilities. And I presented on this topic um, January, so, you know, about 11 months ago, but at that time I had not seen, you know, any penalties for facilities that allowed the use of marijuana And so I think it really comes down to if you have a policy in place and you're really abiding by that policy, then it should be okay. Um, And so I would just really, you know, I would really encourage long-term care facilities and, you know, pharmacists to even ask the question, what do we do if we find out that a patient is using medical marijuana, you know, in our facility? Because I think the don't ask, don't tell policy is not the best one, And, and I've heard in Colorado that's kind of what a lot of the facilities have adopted and so just really encouraging you know pharmacists and other providers to try to think of creating policies regarding medical marijuana.
0: I think that's a fantastic point because I think a lot of what we're doing now it <laughs> seems to be reactionary versus sort of that proactive approach like you mentioned there because you know if you have a patient who's coming in and using it for medicinal purposes trying to shoehorn in some policy to meet that particular patient's needs and Without having a good thought-through you know, kind of policy around it, it could be potentially harmful to the patient, especially if they have to have that gap in treatment or something with that consideration that you know they weren't expecting because maybe they fell in a home and, and, it, and now they have you know, obviously an acute issue and have to come to rehab for. If we're not prepared for that patient and all of their needs, including this, then you know we certainly could have a potential gap in patient care there. So, Danielle, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a great experience. I think there's a lot to be learned about this topic. Um, I think that individual research here is definitely needed. Um, Looking forward to your presentation today. So thank you so much for
1: joining me. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Senior RX Radio. Be sure to share this podcast with your fellow consultant pharmacists and pharmacy associates to learn more about better outcomes for older adult patients. Join us on the web at ASCP.com.